I guess um, the baby boomers could be uh, described as the most consumptive generation in world history. During our time on the planet, let's just say 1945 to, oh, pick an arbitrary date, uh, 2030. During that period of time, roughly half of the world's critical non-renewable resources will have been consumed. That's a stunning fact when you think about it. One generation consuming half of the world's non-renewable resources for all of time. Um, I think for those of us who are in uh, this generation, and therefore in a stage of life where we have more responsibilities, more maybe uh, power, influence, wealth, control, it's really up to us now to uh, redeem ourselves and make some hard choices. about how unique oil is in terms of its, its chemistry, its energy density, and so on. Uh, 
To think that what we're doing with it is simply pulling it out of the ground and burning it as fast as we possibly can seems utterly outrageous. This is the most in unintelligent thing we could possibly do with this amazing stuff. We humans like to pride ourselves on our intelligence, and of course, here we are able to make computers and, and uh, video cameras and all kinds of complex technologies, wonderful stuff. But really, nature only cares about one kind of intelligence, and that's the intelligence that would enable us to look at what we're doing and the likely consequences of our actions to be able to judge which consequences are detrimental to our own survival prospects and then change our behavior accordingly. If we can do that, then I think nature will judge us as being an intelligent species. If we can't, then I don't think we have right to think of ourselves as being any more intelligent than, than yeast, which would be acting exactly the same way. If we put them in a, a bottle of, of grape juice, they'd be, they'd be eating up the sugar in the grape juice, consuming their energy source, and at the same time, they'd be giving off an, uh, a waste product, namely alcohol, and, which would be poisoning them. And uh, so their, their numbers would proliferate until they ate up their energy sources and poisoned themselves with their waste product and then they have a, a die off. We're doing exactly the same thing with fossil fuels. We're eating up our energy source as fast as we can and we're polluting the environment with the waste product. So are we smarter than yeast? That's the question. We'll find out. <laughs> watermelons and windmills and so on. But all of those sources of energy were minuscule compared to oil, which is very, a very concentrated source of energy. Maybe you've had the experience of running out of, of petrol in your car and having to push it off to the side of the road. You know that's hard work. Well now imagine having to push your car 20 or 30 miles. That's the energy equivalent of something like six to eight weeks of hard human labor. And we get that for just uh, currently where I live in California, $2.50. We've, we've created a situation where we're completely dependent on cheap oil. Cheap oil will soon be a thing of the past. There are no easy alternatives. And how are Americans supposed to get around? How are they supposed to produce their food and transport their food and other essential materials? Without cheap oil, we've left ourselves absolutely no other option. Meanwhile, the fact that we're consuming so much of this uh, unique and non-renewable resource has enormous political and geopolitical implications. The rest of the world looks to the U.S. and they say, how can these people do this? Uh, we, we've, we've overthrown governments. We've, we've interfered in the economies of other nations for decades so that America could maintain this unsustainable way of life. And at the end of the day, uh, we're left with a, a hollow shell. We have done now, with fossil fuels, we were able to intensify the process of food production. We were able to substitute fuel-fed machines for things like horses and oxen, which themselves required farmland to grow food for. Once we did that, we sort of circumvented the whole net energy equation, so that now we invest far more energy in producing food than we actually get out of the food in terms of the, of the biological process of, of digestion. So, for every calorie of food that we produce in the world today, we invest something like 10 calories of fossil fuel energy. Again, we can do this for the time being with fossil fuel subsidies. It works as long as we have the cheap fossil fuels. But as soon as the cheap fossil fuels are gone, we're stuck. We have no other way to produce massive quantities of food right now. And without the cheap energy inputs, we're probably headed for global famine. When we first started using fossil fuels, there were fewer than a billion human beings alive. We achieved one billion right around 1820, early in the Industrial Revolution. We got up to two billion around 1930, three billion 
in the 1960s, 4 billion in the 70s, 5 billion in the late 1980s. We got up to 6 billion humans by 1999, and we've added more than a half billion more humans just since the turn of the 21st century. So if you look at, at that purely from a biological perspective, that's an enormous success for one species, but it's a very perilous kind of success. part of, of capitalist ideology and that was only exacerbated once we, we discovered fossil fuels and we, we, we came to believe that growth was not only possible in perpetuity but that it was absolutely necessary. This is what life is all about, growing the economy, constantly growing. Modern economic theory looks at uh, the environment as being a subset of the economy which can always grow bigger and bigger. Of course, the reality of the situation is exactly the opposite. The human economy is a subset of the environment, and if the environment falters, the economy can't continue to grow. In fact, the economy can only grow to certain limits. As soon as the economy begins to impact the environment in such a way that the environment will, will collapse, then the economy is going to collapse too. America used to have a good public transportation system back in the 30s, 40s, and, and 50s. Actually, I can remember when I was a small child riding a, a, a train between uh, Kansas City and St. Louis. Um, today, none of that exists, or very little of it. Um, I live in a city of 175,000 people, and there is no train in that city, neither for passengers nor for freight. Uh, what happened was that um, uh, General Motors, Firestone, Standard Oil of California, and some other corporations colluded during the 30s, 40s, and 50s to buy up all of the trolleys and, and most passenger, passenger trains throughout the U.S. and simply junk them so that Americans would have no other alternatives, so they'd have to buy passenger cars, and, and if they wanted to ride public transportation, then they'd have to ride in, in diesel-powered buses that, that were smelly and inefficient and had really inconvenient schedules. So public transportation in the U.S. has basically evaporated over the past few decades. It has some of the worst public transportation in the world, and yet it's the richest nation in the world. It's absurd. Children. We who are alive today are in competition not with other species so much as with our own descendants. We are actively reducing the survival opportunities of our own children and grandchildren. There's never been anything quite like this before in human history. I'm afraid future generations are not going to be very sympathetic toward us uh, today. They're going to look at us and say, my God, you had everything. You had all the energy in the world. You had all the raw materials. Uh, you had plenty of fresh water. You had topsoil. You had cheap food. And what did you do with it? You just used it all as quickly as you could. You did it in a way that was completely unsustainable. 
you uh, destroyed the habitat of thousands of other species, you ruined the global climate. Uh, I, I'm afraid they're going to look at us and regard us as monsters. Frankly, my fear is that uh, younger people in you know, two or three decades are going to look at, uh, at old folks as you know, a failed generation. And rather than you know, making the effort to try to take care of us, while their own lives are descending into misery, are just going to say, well, you know, you, you had a go at it, you know, you had a good time, and you left nothing for us, so now fend for yourselves. It's one thing to be consuming the world's resources um, at completely unsustainable rates if you don't know any better. But, you know, since the 1970s, 1980s, we've had all the information we need. There's really no excuse anymore for, for us to be uh, blithely continuing as though somehow this can go on forever. It's not going to go on forever. It's not going to go on very much longer at all. Maybe, maybe we're, we are no smarter than yeast. You know, I mean, uh, and any, I suppose you could say any species presented with the, uh, the ability and the opportunity to consume all the world's resources would do so. Um, so I guess you could say we're no worse than, than uh, you know, microbes or, or you know, choose a species and, and do a thought experiment. But it doesn't make me very proud as a human being. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. That's not good enough. Yeah. That's not good enough. Absolutely clear that the one priority of the human family for the 21st century is to end its reliance on fossil fuels, period. It's that simple. It's not going to be easy. We've become extremely dependent on these materials, but they are non-renewable, so therefore it's not a question of negotiation. They will run out at some point. And it's clear that the use of these materials is poisoning our climate and undercutting the survival possibilities of our own children and grandchildren. So systematically, cooperatively, as intelligently and as quickly as we can, we simply have to end our consumption of fossil fuels. It's going to take us a few decades to do that, but we have to begin immediately with a, a crash program scale of effort, the kind of effort that we undertook during World War II, where the advertising industry, um, manufacturing, uh, corporations, you know, the government, all were involved at the very top level of effort. Individuals also have to be involved in this, so that the sense of, of, of duty and obligation has to be mobilized. Um, I think the advertising industry could do this very well. It did it during World War II. Um, it it's almost sounds too simple that we only have one task for the 21st century. process of psychological adjustment that people go through when they, when they hear this, this dreadful information and then gradually over time they go through the stages of grief, you know, denial and, and uh, anger and bargaining and, and then finally acceptance. Uh, and then when they actually start to do something about it, and it's only when people actually start to do something about it that I see a, a transformation occur where people who've, who've accustomed themselves, themselves to this, this you know, really dismal, dreary information actually end up being some of the happiest people I know. There are people who look back to the Great Depression and, and World War II uh, nostalgically. I mean, he, these, were, these were times when you know, people were dying and starving. It was horrific. And yet, people were working together. There was a sense that, you know, we're we're all part of, of the same team, and if we if we if we make some sacrifices, if we if we bring out the best in ourselves and each other, then then there will be a reward at the end of the day. We have to do the same thing now, and I think we'll be much much 
um, better people for it and much happier people for it. Thank you.